This is the Mitch Barnhart Podcast. Now from Lexington, here's the Athletics Director for the University of Kentucky, Mitch Barnhart. Welcome uh, to the Mitch Barnhart Podcast here at the University of Kentucky as we continue our series with some um, university administrators from across the country that we've enjoyed uh, having relationships with over the years. We welcome Rob Mullins from the University of Oregon, the Athletic Director and also the Chair of the College Football Playoff Committee and uh, uh, a friend of, of the University of Kentucky from many years back. So welcome, Rob. Thank you for having me, Mitch. Good to be with you. That's great, and we hope your family's well on the West Coast. Uh, from our years being out there, we, we really enjoyed our time in Oregon, and I know it's a special place, and you've been out there for how many years now? Been here, I uh, started my 10th year, believe it or not. Uh, hard to believe, uh, but you'll you'll be glad to know that, you know, both boys, as you know, were born in Lexington. You were there, uh-huh. um, and funny story is, uh, one of the boys was going to Oregon basketball camp and they were having kids raise their hand for what state they're from. And obviously given it's a regional camp, the majority of kids for, for from Washington, Oregon, or California. And there's one little boy over there, Cooper Mullins, who didn't raise his hand. And our basketball operations guy knows he's from Oregon. His dad's the athletic director. And he says, okay, Cooper, well, you haven't raised your hand. What state are you from? And he says, Kentucky. <laughs> Well, so he remembers his roots. That's awesome. That's awesome. So as as it, as the the roots go, uh, your roots are deep and wide. Uh, born in West Virginia, sort of guide us through how you you got from West Virginia to the University of Oregon. It's a heck of a path and a great story, and you've done so much along the way. So sort of tell people how. You yeah, got no, there. I've been. I, well, I appreciate that. I've been blessed uh, to to have a lot of wonderful people like yourself in my life uh, that helped guide me on the path. But I grew up in in rural West Virginia. Caught a break before I was even born or shortly after I was born. My parents moved from a small town to Morgantown, which is another small town in West Virginia, but it does happen to be where the university is. Mm-hmm. So, you know, having the opportunity to grow up in a university town, you know, opened my eyes to a lot of things. Um, you know, I'm the first member of my family to graduate from college, mm-hmm. and that probably wouldn't have happened if I didn't grow up in a college town. Um, and like so many of us in this business, um, you know, youth sports played a key part in my life, a lot of mentors, a lot of different connections, um, and opened a lot of doors. And so, um, you know, I, I loved it growing up. It was an important part of my life. But, you know, I saw myself, uh, particularly when I went to college as a first-generation college student, I was thinking about, you know, what is the job market at the end of this? So combining things that I enjoyed uh, really sent me on a path to want to be an accountant. So I headed down that path and, and, and got a degree. But during my time at WVU as an undergrad, I had some federal work-study um, opportunities uh, as a part of my financial aid package. And I worked in the athletic department there. And it, it was then that kind of the switch went on for me of, hey, there's some opportunities beyond just being a coach or a trainer that I may not have been aware of. And while I stayed on that accounting path, it just opened my eyes to what there was. So, you know, Graduated, went to work at Ernst & Young uh, in Raleigh briefly, but just really had this passion to pursue, you know, college athletics because I thought it was something that I loved. It, you know, it just, it meant so much to me. So I uh, got a master's degree and, you know, that's where it really all started for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had the opportunity uh, to get my first uh, full-time job at the University of Miami through some relationships, some of which were at Kentucky because I'd, I'd done an internship as part of my master's degree at Kentucky. Um, 
and then spent a couple of years, came in through the business side, spent a couple of years at Miami. Uh, it's actually where I met Jane, my wife. Uh, so great stop for us there. Uh, and then had an opportunity to go to Maryland, uh, just, you know, for a little bit broader uh, opportunity, uh, move it just strictly from business to a little bit more of an internal ops position and, and spent some, you know, six, almost seven years at Maryland, um, in a few different roles. Um, and then had the opportunity to, to, to feel so fortunate to get a call from you, uh, an opportunity to come do something special with you at Kentucky, right. As you were getting started there. And for us, uh, from a, from an opportunity standpoint, the chance to work with you, uh, learn from you, uh, but also from a, from a personal standpoint, Lexington really fit who we are. Um, as a family, we were ready to start a family. We didn't have any kids at that point, but you know, that was something that we were ready to do. And we just felt like with your philosophy, your style, the opportunity to learn professionally, but also, uh, the opportunity, uh, you know, to, to have a big change in our personal life. So eight great years there. Um, very, still very fond of it. Loved it. As I mentioned, both boys were born there, learned so much from you. Um, and then, you know, just, was just looking for the right opportunity, uh, to be an AD. And, you know, these jobs are hard to get, um, even harder to, to make, <laughs> maybe. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, this, this was one that was right. Uh, Jane's from the Pacific Northwest. Um, so from a first personal standpoint, it really fit, uh, was it a good time in our life? The boys were five and three. Um, so easy to move and, um, you know, the rest is history, I guess. That's awesome. Well, when you say tough to keep, you've done a great job in terms of, of what you've done at Oregon, what you've accomplished, some amazing, amazing things. And then on top of that, uh, the average tenure in our in these chairs is about five to six, seven years, somewhere depending on who you listen to. But it's about seems to be five and a half, and I would assume at ten years in the chair, you've uh, you're you're probably uh, certainly in the top. 15 or so in the country of tenure and uh, it's uh that doesn't speak well for our industry but it does speak well <laughs> to what you've done so um but well uh, i appreciate that but it may have been you that even said you know the, the first three years uh they love you the next three <laughs> years they tolerate you and the next three they try to get you out so i'm on the, i'm in the, i'm in the wrong it's an interesting challenge yeah you, you're doing great stuff man so it's and so as, as you've gone you've gone you sort of chronicled that you've gone coast to coast uh you know you've you've west virginia to kentucky miami maryland uh back to kentucky to oregon you know that's you've seen different philosophies rob and i i always tell people all the time i said although it is says it says two words college athletics in a lot of ways are remarkably different philosophies and they and they approach it from different pathways in a lot of places and so give me your perspective on that Boy, you're right. Um, you know, each was just, uh, we've had a real diverse set of experiences. Um, you know, obviously when you're in major markets like a Miami or a Maryland, you're just fighting for space, right? Because, you know, when you're in a Miami, the Dolphins are everything. And then, then you add a Major League Baseball team. You, you move to a Maryland where you're competing with both Baltimore's professional sports teams as well as Washington, D.C.'s professional mm-hmm. sports teams, in addition to all the colleges that are around there. So you're really, really fighting for space. So, and then, you know, they're all, they're different leagues, right? So, I mean, just even different culturally. Um, and then, you know, obviously Kentucky in, in the SEC was such a, a rich tradition in basketball, 
um, and, and such a loyal and passionate fan base. And it, it plays such a key role in the community. You know, that's kind of one of the things that, that are fun about college athletics when you get in these college towns where it's a central part of the community, not only from an employment standpoint, but from an entertainment standpoint. Um, and it's, it's the water cooler talk everywhere you go. And that, that's similar here at Oregon. You know, one of the unique things about being in the Pac-12, as you experienced, is, you know, the travel's not the same. You know, it's, it's a, you know, our, you know, obviously Corvallis is, 40 miles away, but you know, our next closest road trip is five and a half hours. So, you know, and, and your base gets spread out. Um, but you know, and, and again, we're, we're going to a lot of major markets, um, in this league, you know, we're in Seattle, we're in San Francisco, we're in LA, we're in Phoenix, uh, which is just, you know, just a little different feel. You know, we think one of our advantages, um, in, you know, in recruiting uh, and in experience here in Eugene is that you do get that college feel. It is a college town. Mm-hmm. Um, so we use that to our advantage for sure. Well, terrific. It's a terrifically beautiful place. And, and, uh, you're right. It, it is philosophically a little different from place to place, and, and our travel here is a little different in the SEC as you, as you experienced when you were here. Um, so as, as you look at a mega brand, and, and Oregon is one of those mega brands because of a variety of things. The success of the program has been um, well chronicled. Uh, the football program when Mike Bellotti was there and he grew it, Rich Brooks started and turned it over to Bellotti and Bellotti did some remarkable things. And, and then, and from there, everyone sort of just uh, kept going. You guys have done a remarkable job of keeping that going. You've added some remarkable things in basketball, the track tradition, you can go on and on. So you've done some great things. You've also got the Nike impressions that, uh, that come from Portland, Oregon and from Beaverton. And, 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 and then you've got a, a, a wonderful, um, friend to the program and, and to the university and Phil Knight and, and they've done been so generous to to university and to higher education and so how do you manage how do you look at the big brands and and, and those big moments and manage all of that piece and the some of the misconceptions about that sort of walk us through that yeah great question you know we're very fortunate obviously um you know Eugene Hayward Field you know with, with coach Bauman and uh, Mr. Knight, that's the birthplace of Nike, right? So the DNA is, is really connected. And, you know, it's ironic the question fits because we're celebrating the 20th year of the O, uh, wow. you know, of the new mark, wow. uh, the Tinker Hatfield and, and company um, created at the direction of Mr. Knight. And, you know, 20 years ago, they were trying to create an identity for the University of Oregon, mm-hmm. Um and, you know, the team at Nike, many of whom went to school here or grew up in the state, uh, were trying to figure out what separates us. And, you know, that's where they came up with the iconic O. And so, obviously, Nike's played a key role in the branding, the innovation, uh, and the creativity around the University of Oregon brand. And we still have that close connection today. Obviously, Beaverton's, uh, you know, only 100 miles away. Uh, and as I said, so many of the leadership up there um, have roots either at UO or, or in the state. So that's been a, it's, it's been a great, great piece for us. Obviously, it's gone through a lot of phases, um, you know, you know, first with the uniforms, uh, the kind of the shock of, uh, of getting out there with the uniforms, uh, then the O, um, and it, it, we've kind of gone from there, whether it's liquid metal helmets or Volt <laughs> socks, um, you know, with Nike, Oregon's been willing to be first and, you know, taking some, some, some ridicule along the way. And, um, but it really has helped create a brand, uh, of, of innovation and, and a willingness to be first. Uh, so that partnership is great. Uh, obviously, as you mentioned, 
Um, Bill and Penny Knight have been unbelievably generous uh, to the institution. You know, the libraries, the Knight Library, the Knight Law School, over 20 endowed uh, professorships. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously uh, the infrastructure in and around athletics uh, with Hayward Field under a renovation right now has been amazing. So we're very fortunate. Obviously, uh, the Nike relationship, the brand uh, has a big reach. Um, and then the facilities, what kind of gets lost in that, as you said, to the misperception is two things is one, you can have the greatest facilities in the world and you can have the greatest brand in the world, but you, you still have to have good people. Yep. And, Absolutely. uh, we have outstanding people, uh, to take those advantages and, and put them to use, uh, put them to work. And so sometimes I worry that our coaches and staff, um, don't get enough credit for the, for the results that have been produced. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously the football success under chip, you know, when you marry the innovation of chip and his offense, along with what we were doing from a uniform standpoint and what was happening at Nike was uh, a perfect timing. And we were able to leverage that success. Uh, a lot of what I learned from you and, and what you implemented at Kentucky is how can we take that success to support all of our programs? Because, you know, we want to give all 450 of our student athletes a, a great experience, which includes competing for championships. So, you know, we were able to do that, um, and, you know, when we sit across from, from every mom and dad or aunt and uncle in the recruiting process and, and promise that experience, you know, we want every sport to have a chance to compete for championships. So, you know, the, the other piece of that is uh, oftentimes people will see what uh, Mr. and Mrs. Knight have done for us and say, well, you know, my my check isn't going isn't going to make a difference, but it really does. You know, this is a competitive business. We want to stay on the cutting edge, um, and we're all trying to grow our ticket base, our donor base. Um, and sometimes, will people will look at it and say, you know, how is mine going to help? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, that can be a bit of an uphill battle um, at, at times. Yeah, I, th- I think that you guys have uh, got an incredible brand, and and it's uh, uh, been fun to to watch it uh, we've obviously been out there for track and field many many times here as, as you guys have hosted the championships and we've had a chance to walk your campus and and be a part of your community on those moments and so we see it firsthand when we come out there you uh you're right the misconception sometimes is that it's so big and so strong that no one needs to help and frankly everyone needs to help it's so it's so important to the all 500 and and uh, of, of the young people that compete in your programs, and so, and it's one right. And, and and like anybody, I mean, any any of our schools where we have donors taking a leadership position, they love to see and and get additionally motivated by others jumping on to support uh, the same passion that they have. Yep, absolutely. I think that's why you're seeing a lot of the the uh, matching grant, matching gift kind of things. We'll put up this if the rest of everyone else will come alongside. And I think it has been really prevalent in today's world and and uh, and very very helpful. Um, you're you're obviously we're we're both on some unique committees. You're you're chairing the college football playoff committee, and for the second year, this is and is this the last year that that's the way that works? I think you're in your last year on the committee. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Okay, so is that good or bad? I think that's okay. That's, yeah, I'm just <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's been a fun run. I'm sure you've had a similar experience. Yeah. You know, this will be my fourth year. I was two years uh, as a member, and this will be my second year as chair. Um, you know, it, listen, it's another duty at a sign, and it's intense at periods. You know, November oh, and sure. December are extremely intense with the travel and the extra hours. But boy, it is, it is an awesome experience. It is truly a labor of love. Um, obviously, the work is a lot, and, it, and it's fun. 
Um, but the, the, the hard part to, to relay to people is what special relationships you build. When you're working on something in such an intense period of time, which when you're on the committee, you feel like is an enormity for the business. You know, we want to get this exactly right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you put a lot into it. And so, you know, you, you connect with those 12 other members and that, that, that staff of the CFP on this task. And so you build some really strong relationships with outstanding people. Um, and that's what makes it fun. No, absolutely. And, and, and there's no scrutiny at all, which really makes it easy. <laughs> yeah, no, my, my email box that never fills up with uh, team number five. That's right. They, uh, the one, <laughs> Just like yours does with team oh, number 69. Yeah, the one you leave out, the one that you misseated or something like that. But it's, uh, I, I would agree with you in that it is a labor of love. And it, you, you get so, uh, so few opportunities to do something so special. And uh, to have a chance to do that with people that you respect in the industry is is tremendously wonderful. But uh, you're right now without challenges, the travel, sort of walk them through, walk people through your travel. What, what does that week look like as you get into the latter part of the season? Um, you're going to go, you, you play your game on Saturday and the, the Ducks are competing somewhere. And, and, then, and then what happens? Right. So uh, the way it works in the last, I want to say, seven weeks of the year. So if you looked at the conference championship weekend and backed up seven weeks, so for seven straight weeks, I'll, you know, obviously I'll be athletic director on Saturday. And then Saturday night, Sunday morning, you know, I really lock in on my duties uh, with the CFP. So, uh, you know, get some stuff put together Sunday morning. Uh, I'll be on a flight uh Usually sometime midday on Sunday, I'm putting together data, watching a lot of games uh, in, in easily consumable formats that the CFP provides to us on an iPad um, and getting prepared for Monday's meeting. So I'll land in Dallas sometime late Sunday night, you know, work into the night uh, and then get up, uh, do some more work Monday morning. And we start our meetings at noon on Mondays. Mm-hmm. Um and then meet all day Monday into Monday night, come back, meet Tuesday morning uh, early until lunch. And then as the chair, I stay behind until, you know, uh, the fancy, the ESPN show on Tuesday night. And because uh, I'm in a, on the West Coast, I end up having to spend the night in Dallas on Tuesday night and then catch the earliest flight possible from Dallas back to Eugene, get to Eugene midday Wednesday. So you know, I'm, I'm kind of locked in from Sunday morning until Wednesday afternoon gotcha. uh, with travel uh, on the CFP stuff for seven weeks. Yeah, and I don't think people understand that level of, of workload or travel. And, it, and then, you oh, by the way, you've got this other job called athletic director. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and you don't have any... And you might have a few other teams competing in the fall other than the football team, I think. So uh, exactly. No, you're trying to chase cross country and volleyball and women's soccer right. around too. It's and there you're also having men's and women's basketball get started. So yeah. no, it, it it is a lot, but um, you know, I think if you pulled our business, uh, just about a hundred percent of the people would raise their hand for the opportunity. So I, I do feel fortunate. No, you're absolutely correct, and and. Uh, I'm in the same boat with you. With the, when they when you get the call to, to be on that committee, uh, on one of those very special committees, you you certainly want to raise your hand and, and say yes. And uh, so I'm we're, we're very privileged and and a really really cool time in in, in our careers. So I'm, I love watching what you do and and I think you've been an incredible chair last year. Did a great job with it. Looking forward to this year and 
and uh, that'll be a, an exciting time in November and December. Uh, just real quick, as you as you look back on your time at UK, uh, you were you were here for eight years, and and I I, I remember the first time you and I met. We met. Uh, in I think it was Atlanta. I think that's where you were playing, and uh, I was uh, in the really beautiful third deck of of uh, the arena or wherever we were. And and, uh, and you came up to visit me and say hello and introduce yourself to me as we were trying to get going. And from that moment, we had an opportunity to get together and and uh, have some really special times here. And you did a remarkable job. But uh, reflect on what 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 stood out to you in your time in, in Lexington, besides your wonderful family. Yeah, no, great, great memory. Uh, that's exactly right. Um, you know, because I obviously uh, I had met your brother uh, through some of the Learfield connections. Um, obviously, had been able to see what you were able to accomplish at Oregon State. Um, you know, and then I was at the point in my career where you know I wanted an opportunity to learn. Um, you know, from somebody who who was doing what you were doing. Uh, obviously, we aligned philosophically. So, you know, listen, my time at UK was awesome. Uh, it was outstanding. Uh, you provided us uh, an incredible opportunity, but equally important, an incredible environment. Um, and for me, um, it was just a great learning experience for that point in my career. Um, just philosophically, uh, with what we were trying to build, um, your vision of broad-based excellence uh, was something. Um, and, and really, your patience uh, to kind of just keep pushing that big boulder up the hill of really uh, changing uh, kind of a view of of college athletics, and you know, you know similar to what I said earlier, I, you know, I learned from you is you know, we want to give every student athlete an opportunity because it's such a unique time. And so for me, a lot of the foundational elements that I've carried on um, into my opportunity here at Oregon were were founded um, under you at Kentucky. So a lot of great people, um, a lot of passion, you know, there were some challenging moments in there too. I remember, you know, sitting in your office in the basement of Memorial Coliseum a couple of times dealing with some stressful situations. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so those were learning moments too, even though at the time, uh, you know, you know, the, the stomach was churning um, and there was a lot of uh, nervousness. Um, but, you know, those were big learning moments too. So uh, as you mentioned, a lot of great, great, great people. Um, but for me, the number one thing um, that I took away from my time there is really from you is just the importance of creating a family atmosphere, creating an environment where everybody can be successful. Um, and, you know, we've tried to imply that here because, you know, these departments, you know, people get caught up in the numbers, $110 million budgets and 450 student athletes and 250 full-time employees. And we're filling stadiums and arenas, um, you know, but we have to find a way to make sure that every day, because this can be a grind, um, that we're creating in a family atmosphere and we're creating a culture where everybody be, can be successful from the freshman student athlete to the most tenured uh, department employee. Um, we want to do right by the people. Um, and so, you know, for me, my eight years there, um, you know, that was a key takeaway for me in addition to just meeting so many wonderful people 
um, and getting caught up in the Big Blue Nation because uh, it's something special. It is. It really is. And my, my children still, and they think of Rob Mullins, they, they loved how organized the desk was, and they took great pride in coming on and moving your pens around. I could always tell when I came back from a meeting when Scott Barnhart had been through the office. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and, and always got a good laugh at that. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah it's, it, when you really, you know, you, I turned 50 this summer, so I'm, I'm a little more re- reflective these days than, <laughs> than I have. Been. And uh, it's amazing because uh, I remember, you know, right when I came there, um, you know, Kirby was just starting high school and, you know, the high school sports. And, you know, I, I Jane and I get a good laugh uh, frequently as our lives have changed over the last several years because of, you know, we, we were kind of chuckling at you and Connie like, you're eating dinner at what time at night? And you're like, Hey, you'll find out one day. And then several years later, you know, we're sitting down doing the same thing, eating dinner at nine o'clock at night because Cooper's off at basketball practice. Tanner's on the other side of town at basketball practice. And the only time we can get together is late at night. And we used to think you were crazy because when we were, uh, when we were married with no kids, we were going to bed at that time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Times change, partner. And uh, for those <laughs> for those of us that have just turned sixty, it really gets different. So it's uh, it's crazy. <laughs> but uh, good stuff. Hey, uh, just real quick, we're gonna, we got a few few uh, minutes left here. Get some time, and I just want to touch base as we look at college athletics. Uh, yeah, I, I did a, a talk up, and I, I've used this before. I, I talked to a, a group up in Columbus, and a, a wonderful woman as the Q and A uh, hit. She raised her hand, and she she said, uh, "Hey, Mr. Barnhart, she goes, what keeps you up at night?" And I and I think that they all expect you to say the winning and the losing, and it's not what what I said. So I'm I'm curious as I as as I've used this to just ask. Uh, some of the other folks we've had on. So what keeps you up at night as you, as you walk through this journey? Well, I'm not a good sleeper anyway, so uh, <laughs> well, <is laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm easy to keep awake. But, I, you know, from a work standpoint, obviously the health and well-being of our student-athletes. Um, mm-hmm. You know, w- w- we have 450 young people here, some who their first time away from home, and some are very, very far away from home. So just the, the health and safety um, and decisions uh, of our student-athletes, probably first and foremost. Um, you know, the other thing, too, is, you know, how can we, you know, keep, uh, you know, college athletics at the forefront. Um, you know, the consumer has changed um, and we want to continue to be able to provide everything to allow our student athletes to be successful. Um, but we, we see a changing consumer. So what can we be doing to make sure that we're keeping the young people, the next generations involved in college athletics? Because what makes college athletics unique is that pageantry, that passion. It's, it's so different than professional sports. So, you know, that keeps me up at night as, as we see a, a dwindling season ticket holder base. Um, and then, you know, I care about our staff, too. You know, I want to make sure that we're doing everything that we can to provide them what they need to be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we, we, we do want to win contests. There's no doubt. But that wouldn't be at the top of the list. I mean, and, you know, for us uh, right now, we're also battling resource gap. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what, what can we do uh, to enhance our resources? But at the same time, are there opportunities for us um, – to align, reallocate, um, whatever, to make sure that we're maximizing everything that we can uh, to meet the expectations. Because uh, for all of us, there's super high expectations. Mm-hmm. I think one of the great phrases that, that Rob Mullins has put in play, and I'll never forget, and it's used all the time, 
still to this day at Kentucky, 10 years later after you've, you've gone to the West Coast, um, we always open our board meetings with we are, our goal is to have resources meet expectations. And that was a Rob Mullins phrase that we have used for 18 years here. So you're, you, you hit it on the head and, and we continue. We came here with such wonderful expectations, but our resources weren't where they needed to be. And, and Rob, you challenged us to get our resources to the spot where it could meet our expectations, and hopefully we've begun to do that. But that was that was uh, that was something you taught us, and uh, and and I think we've we've kept that alive. So your legacy lives on, my friend. So. Well, and you certainly delivered on it. I mean, your your vision of broad-based excellence and what you've done on the facility infrastructure to allow you to have, I just saw your top 10 men's soccer team and Craig Skinner and what he's done in volleyball. Um, it's just amazing when you when you sit back and think about all the all the support. And, you know, you see a J.B. Holmes on tour and, you know, being able to provide the opportunities um, and support for those folks to be able to have that kind of success. Um, you know, that's rewarding. It is. It is. It's fun stuff. So 25 years, we, we talked before we, we came on, 25 years you've been an administrator, um, working your way through this, this journey. As, as you've done that, a lot of things have changed. What's changed and, and, and what needs to change, in your opinion? And you've talked a little bit about the consumer. As you look at all that, what's changed and what needs to change, Rob? Well, obviously, the consumer has changed, no doubt. There's just so many uh, options uh, for young people today. Um, I also think social media has changed a lot. Um, there's just, you know, there's two things that kind of that I struggle with uh, as a 50-year-old. One is there's no patience for anything anymore. Um, nobody, nobody wants to invest in a process or trust a process or uh, everything needs to be immediate. The other thing is when, when, when something does go wrong, when there is a mistake, boy, somebody just is looking for somebody to blame and really throw somebody under the bus. Um, and so I struggle with both of those things because, listen, you know, if, if you're working hard and taking chances, mistakes are going to happen. Um, so let's learn from them. Let's support one another and let's build from there. And listen, we all want to win championships, we have, but we have to understand the starting point. And, mm-hmm. I, and I get worried that, you know, you know, we just think changing a head coach is going to mean immediate success mm-hmm. um, instead of understanding this is an elite level of sport. It is tough mm-hmm. to win games and there's a process. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes when you're in the roles that we're in, um, and you did an amazing job with the pressure that you were under during Rich Brooks era and you saw it through and you made some bold moves in extending contracts at times uh, when people thought you were crazy. Um, <laughs> they still and do. even internally, still some do. people <laughs> were asking you, you know, what, what were you doing? And you, you just had a vision and more importantly, you had the stomach for it. You had to weather the storm. Um, because there just isn't a lot of patience out there. So, you know, I, I worry about, you know, just like you, I've got kids who think they might want to work in sports someday. And so I'm, I'm thinking of what can I do to leave it a better place um, for the next generation? Because, you know, I've had a, a wonderful career. And so, you know, it's, it's keeping fans engaged, keeping young people engaged. Um, I, I think one of the things that we're trying to focus on here at Oregon is helping the broader donor base, fan base, public understand, again, the benefits of being a college student-athlete. 20% of our student-athletes are first-generation college student-athletes. 20% are pro-eligible. We're using athletics as a, as a platform for an opportunity for something much bigger than just playing sports. 
And I hope we can connect that with people so, so they so they see that this is an opportunity for, for people to get that education, to change their life, to change their family's life. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that, that, that leads right into the next question. Uh, we've, we've, I don't know if we've coined a phrase here. We're trying to talk about things called generational leadership. And, and as we, I tell people all the time, it, it, when I get questions that people say, what is wrong with this generation, these young people today? And I simply will say, um, our generation did, has not done a great job of leading them. And so uh, they're only emulating what they see us do. And so uh, I, I think that what I'm trying to hope, or what I hope, is that, that there's some generational legacies, advice, lessons that we can pass along that become meaningful, that they can begin to build and, and create a really, really cool generation of Generation Z. Yeah, that's the one. I guess we're on Generation Z. So, um, so if you're if you were to pass along advice, or if you're if you were challenging, and I know you do because I know you well enough, you're getting in front of your student athletes, and you're saying certain things. What are you challenging them with? What's the generational advice you're giving your kids? You know, I, uh, with my with my kids, because uh, there's there, there's no there's no. <laughs> There's no greater feedback than what you're doing as a leader than when, when you start to have kids and you start to hear their phrases and go, oh, no, that's what I say. <laughs> i got to change that. When my 12-year-old's asking my 15-year-old, what were you thinking when he does something? I'm going, ooh, he got that from me. i got to change that. Um, so, you know, for me, what, what I'm really going to go to a basic level here, and that is, you know, just be a good human. Really, really, I, you know, I, we had a chance to host Garth Brooks here at a concert, and he, and he visited with our student athletes, and he, he delivered a message that really resonated with me. You know, we're all part of teams. We've been part of great teams. So think about 7 billion people being your teammates. And what can you do to help the people around you? Mm-hmm. Instead of going around trying to, you know, lift yourself up by putting other people down or, or taking little shots, you know, what can you do to be a good teammate to 7 billion people? Um, and that's, you know, that that's a good level set and a reminder. The other thing that, that I do is I think sometimes people get in a race. I have to be here and in this as fast mm-hmm. as possible instead of just doing a really good job in the opportunity that you have now. People will recognize it. Stay focused um, on the here and now and doing, you know, do your job today. And the, st- the other stuff will come. Don't get too focused on what's next. Yeah, if you remember when Dr. Todd was, we were going through the really difficult times early on here at Kentucky when you were on staff with me. Uh, the advice that he gave us as a staff was he said, I'll never forget, he came and sat in our one of our staff meetings, and he said, when in doubt, just work. And uh, yep. he said, just go to work. He said, and to your point, Rob, he said, people will recognize what you're trying to do if you'll just keep your nose to the grindstone and work. But it, with the day you stop working and you just sort of hope that happens, he goes, it, it probably will fail. And uh, so he said, just just work. And I thought that was great advice yep. for all of us. So that is great advice. So let's uh, let's we'll put a ribbon around this one and and uh, and, and let you get going. Uh, but uh, we always have five just real simple ones at the very end, and these are meant to be fun. So uh, they're they're one words, two words answers. So your favorite food? If you sat down for one meal and said, well, "I want one meal," I think I know this one. I've, I was around you for a long time. What would it be? 
Boy, I think I would have to say pizza. Yeah, I thought this would be. That's what it would be. <laughs> <laughs> That's a tough one. I, I love hamburgers, too, oh, yeah. um, but I'd say pizza. All right. Favorite book? If you if you go to the shelf and you had to pull one off to reread or you have to give it to someone to, to say, hey, I want you to read this, what, what book would it be? Uh, probably legacy. You know, it, it's a great book about culture, uh, amongst blacks. one of the greatest yeah. teams. Yeah. The all blacks, um, you know, the historic great teams, um, in rugby, uh, just amazed. And, and what I love about that, that is the lessons, right? It's, you know, where the leaders sweep the shed, clean up the locker room. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's no division between rookies and, and veterans. It's all about helping to your earlier question the next generation the next group be great leaders um there's just so many great lessons in that book great book favorite hobby what do you do when you got some downtime off is your children real important but if you beyond that what do you what do you do for 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 you yeah, that's probably it. It's probably being with the kids, throwing BP, uh, rebounding because my kids are into baseball and basketball. There, there's nothing better um, th- than doing that because it just clears the mind, um, and you know you're just doing something that they love, and and you know still at the ages where they want you to do it. <laughs> so, uh, just, yeah, I'd say throwing BP or rebounding for for Cooper and Tanner. That's awesome, and then. Uh, if you said, if, if there's a phrase you put on your wall, if there's a little phrase that said, these are the words I want to live by, you may have touched on earlier, but it may not. If you had something on your wall, what's the, what's the phrase on your wall sitting on the credenza? Boy, that's a tough one. Um, I, I really do think uh, just do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, you know, we're, we're faced with a lot of difficult decisions. Uh, many of them are 50-50. Um, so half of our, our base might disagree with us. <laughs> but what, what allows me to put my head on the pillow at night is, you know, just do the right thing. Uh, do what I think is best for the organization, even if everybody doesn't agree with it. Awesome. And then the last one's pretty pretty simple one, uh, for, uh, very simple. Most influential person in your life and why? Boy, I would say, um, you know, now that I've reached this stage, it's Jane, probably my awesome. wife. Um, I've been fortunate to have a ton of great mentors. Um, you uh, at the top of that list, um, you know, and when you, you reflect back on everybody who's helped you along the journey to get you where you are and some of it, you, you know, you just, you know, it's fate, right? Um, but I would say, Jane, when you go on these journeys, uh, the strength of a spouse, uh, is critical. Um, and, you know, one of the great things about that is, you know, when you have great spouses like we do with Jane and Connie, it's, you know, they're super supportive, but they're also the people that when we're sulking or, or when, we, you know, we're looking at things wrong, they're not afraid to tell us, snap out of it, get it right. And so um, she's always there uh, to support me, greatest advocate, but also, um, you know, willing to say, hey, shake out of it. You, you're, mm-hmm. you got a job to do. Go get it done. Yep, absolutely. And she's a wonderful, wonderful uh, partner to you. And uh, you guys have been amazing together. And and uh, so glad to see your successes and all the things you guys have accomplished with you and your family. So, uh, man, it's been great visiting with you. You're uh, you're a great, great administrator and do a phenomenal job of leading the CFP. And but among other things, you're a great, great uh, husband and a great dad. And so, uh, congrats on all you've accomplished. And we look forward to. Uh, catching up to you somewhere along the path we'll we'll bump into each other and uh looking forward to uh 
competing against each other as we always do. Those are fun moments. Just said everybody says, "Yeah, you got all these friends out there." He's all oh, my friends are trying to beat my brains in all of a sudden. What the heck? So, <laughs> I know. We're, we're all we're, we're all just trying to get the next one. That's no, for sure. No, but, well, thank you for having me. I, I think this is an awesome idea. Um, obviously, uh, a debt of gratitude to you for everything. Um, that you did for me and for my family. Um, and you know, we just loved, loved, loved our eight years in Lexington and, uh, appreciate getting the chance to, to reminisce with you. Well, all right, my friend, well, you take care and all the best and thanks for everyone for joining us on the podcast today. And we'll look forward to catching you up on next time. Thanks so much for being with us.